Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host and star of this show, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer, and this is Coaching Kernan, episode 229. Quick thank you to our, two, I'm sorry, 20,700 subscribers, and I've been promised today by Spotify that we'll get our Spotify numbers, so I'm anticipating our numbers doubling there. So there's a lot of you out there that I haven't been formally thanking, and I think we'll be up in the 40,000 range right now. A lot of exciting things happen with our network. Uh, We'll fill you in as they come along, but make sure you keep doing what you're doing. All 72 countries have been very loyal, following us, uh, download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. And today we got a little unique show. I think we're going to do this a little bit more often. Uh, No guests today, just Kevin and I. We've been traveling a bit. We've seen a lot of baseball, a lot of observations, and Again, some great stories by Kevin as he brings them out through Ball 9 and our, our our brothers over there at that network. So we want to kind of get some of that out there for you guys to digest, and, and that'll drive our shows for the next probably two months. Um, so, Kevin, welcome back to your show. And you've had some some travels out there, some wonderful articles, and um, really hitting the nail on the head with with all of them as your, your, your faithful followers with uh, your writing uh, certainly point out. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. And again, I, a lot of the things I write, the baseball people reach out to me. I'm talking about people in organizations, scouting directors, scouts, um, uh, you know, man, coaches, managers, um, broadcasters, a lot of broadcasters. You know, to be quite frank, Dave, a lot of broadcasters can't tell the truth because they work for organizations that, you know, it, it's got to be happy talk all the time, no matter how bad their team is. So I am constantly hearing not only from fans, but from baseball people. Thank you for what you're writing. You're, you're the only one writing the truth. How come nobody else is doing this? Um, and it's everything from, it can be the Yankee, tra- you know, the Yankee fiasco, the Mets fiasco to, you know, just a, the nice story I did over the weekend on the Hall of Fame and yeah. what it meant to me going there. So, so it's, it's, it's really a, it's a shame as a breakdown in, um, in what, uh, what we used to get from the media uh, too many, and and I understand too many guys are just uh, beholden to GMs, beholden to agents, and to be quite frank, people don't know what they're looking at anymore. Dave, I watch. It was raining here yesterday afternoon, so when I get caught in the Florida uh, thunderstorm uh, period, I'll put the games on because I, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't watch them. They're so bad. But I was watching two or three different games, you know, over the course of the afternoon. And I'm not making this up. I saw three pop-ups dropped. Three, three, and 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 I think one or two of them were were, were called hits by the official scores, and that's oh, another joke. The, the official scoring is a joke. My friend Bob Nightingale has been writing for a while that the the official scores have been basically ordered by Manfred to call everything a hit that they can, because he's trying to get the batting average up so it doesn't look so bad. Yeah, and and there was a pop-up. Um, there was a pop-up in the Philly game with the Guardians, and uh, Ramirez, a good third baseman, kind of got waggled around on it, and the shortstop never came over to help him out. That's what I'm seeing a lot of too. They never and 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 it, it clanked off Ramirez's glove, and the guy from third scored, and uh, he gets an RBI and a base hit. I'm sure the pitcher was fuming. It was an out, and and. 
But I saw that three times. And of course, we all saw, I don't know if you saw, it was a great one. I showed it to my grandson and they got a huge kick and granddaughters, they got a huge kick out of it. And it's a shame it happened. But the Brett Batty, Batty pop up uh, last week where he, same thing, he's playing, uh, you know, he's playing third base. It's hit, It's in foul territory. And because of the stadiums, it blows back with the wind. And he's, you can see he's in major trouble. And, uh, and Lindor is standing there like he's waiting for a bus. Maybe he's worrying about his new glove that they talked about on ESPN last night. Yeah. Lindor makes no move to help him. Batty, you know, violently tries to catch it, dives, misses it, hits the ground, hits him in the chin. You know, embarrassing m- meme forever, you know. And, uh, uh, but that's the state. And no, no accountability. Nobody says anything to these guys. And, and I know I saw some, uh, you know, pictures of you on uh, Facebook. You had a minor league game, so I'm sure you saw some things there as well. Oh, we did. We, you know, there there were some positives that we we saw the Myrtle Beach Pelicans against the Carolina Mudcats. Uh, we we had a big tournament that we were fortunate to get invited to, which was a college bound tournament. So all these kids were going to be going to college this August, all mostly scholarship kids, about 400 teams, and. Um, Bobby Holland, who runs Triple Crown, invited us to come in. And our group's young. My son Tanner's a seventh grader. My older son David's an eighth grader. I think we have five eighth graders on the team, two seventh graders, and the rest are uh, 24s and 25s, which would be ninth and 10th graders. And we had our three boys from New Zealand over. Um, and as a reward, I took took a bunch of them to the game. They all wanted to see uh, the Pelicans play, which is right in our backyard. The Cubs and the Mudcats are the Brewers. And I actually text Jim Rooney, who's who's a – you know, member of our, our network here. And I said, Jim, do you know any people in the, on the Brewers right now? He looked through all their minor league. He goes, I don't recognize anybody. He's only been out a couple of years. Um, but the game itself was, um, it was no different than what we see at the lower levels where it was pitchers on the mound, just rearing back and firing, um, misuse of off-speed pitches. And as we were talking before the show, and I apologize if this is a crude reference to the audience, but you know, oh, two counts. We talk a lot with Will George and Mark Wiley and, and yourself about you don't give up hits on oh, two counts or even with two strikes. And this kid reared back through a 91 mile an hour cock shot to this. this I mean, the guy was 6'5, 240, hit it about mm. 450 feet line drive. Now, up to that point, the guy hadn't even come close to the baseball. He was one track swing and uh, <clears throat> just shaking my head at it. We had a, not to, not to be complaining about the whole thing, but. I walked away and I text Will. I said, Will, God bless you for doing this every day. Um, every day. I can't believe it. But we saw a 3-2 count and we work on this stuff all the time. Base running is a, is a staple of ours. First 30 minutes of practice is base running every day. Oh, it's, and, it's the new steroid. Yeah. Oh, my God. And 3-2 uh, count, two outs. All you young ones out there in the audience, you're, you're moving on the pitch, making sure the pitcher goes to the plate. Not once, but twice. And he got lucky the first time because the batter fouled it off. Third base coach didn't remind the runners. The first base coach didn't remind the runners. The runner on first base overran the runner on second. Um, unfortunately, the umpires didn't see it because it could have been an automatic out, but he did it twice. He did it on the first pitch and the third one. And on the second pitch, nobody ran. So I don't know which <laughs> of the three was worse, but uh, it was a tough shortstop, booted six ba- or three baseballs. You know, it's supposed to be your best guy. He was worrying about the uh, – you know, and I love Ron Washington, Ozzy Albies, what they do, but they're they're all over YouTube doing the trying to beat the ball off the ground, the short hop. People don't realize that's the last two percent of fielding right there. You don't get into that position unless your feet are out of position. And right. so all these kids grow up, these young guys, they were he made he made errors because he was trying to move through the baseball with his glove instead of his feet. 
and he booted it. One hit him in the wrist, one hit him off the, the thumb, one hit him off the pinky. At least he was diplomatic. He got every part of the, the, the glove except the palm where it should be. But I walked away shaking my head. I didn't say anything to our kids. Our kids kind of recognized some of the stuff. Fly balls dropped as well. Cutoffs missed. Um, pass balls by catchers on one knee. All the stuff we chronicled, I could have just checked it off on a list and say, oh, they covered everything. This is the new baseball. But our kids recognized some of it. I didn't take away from the game. They loved the experience of it and whatnot. But I shook my head and, and uh, one of the dads said, he goes, that was awful, right? I said, yeah. yeah. I said, none of those guys would have made our team. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. There's no accountability. I was watching, again, I was watching the White Sox. And <laughs> oh my God, are the White Sox terrible? They are, you know, and Steve Stoney and Nasser even admitted it was a terribly sloppy game. But the, it's extra innings, so you have the fake runner. He gets over to third base, and uh, there's one out. Pop, another pop fly. And the reason I, I bring up pop fly so much because people don't understand anymore. You know, we oh, they made errors back then. Too. Yeah, they used to make errors too back then, but they worked on pop flies. That's my whole point. They don't work on fly balls. They don't work on pop flies. They don't work on ground balls unless they do that individual work. There's no infield outfield anymore. That's why there's so many errors. So some, some uh, the right fielder that the uh, White Sox had, you could see it was one of those pop flies that was going to keep coming in because the way the wind was blowing. Yeah. Again, the second baseman gave up on the play. They're not being teammates. They're not. They're giving up on the play. So the right fielder comes all the way in. Now he's awkward, and and but he called it early, so he screwed it up to begin with. Now he catches it about twenty feet off the grass behind second, uh, behind uh, you know between uh, first and second, twenty feet. But he's so awkward he falls down catching it. So the guy on third base tags and scores on a hunt, you know, on, oh on a pop, just 120 foot. And this, this is the major leagues. This is the major leagues. And uh, it, it's very interesting that, that the, um, you know, my, my friend Fred McGriff got in and Scott Rowland and they talked about, it's not about analytics. It's about being right, the good person and doing this, doing that. The major leagues are such a mess now. They're run by people who don't know the game the Yankees have just made a few moves, bringing back some veteran, um, you know, Sean Casey, now Andy Pettit. Um, but we can talk about this as well. Yeah, they're not, like, teaching like any, they're not teaching anybody anything anymore, and there's no accountability. And a guy like Buck Showalter, who's a good manager, he's a good manager. He, you can just see that he's he's been forced to sit there and bite his tongue when he sees all this. Nobody gets in anybody's grill anymore. And that's one of the big problems with baseball. You can watch a football game, NFL game, and you'll see coaches go at it with players. You'll see players go at it with other players. That's the man, manly, manliness of the game. It's all that you know what they've become. I'm telling you right now, baseball has become a, a a fashion show. It's a fashion show. They get on the red carpet on the you know on the ESPN and the all the all star weekend's a joke. Uh, all star week is a joke now. What they're doing. Basically, baseball is a celebrity softball game for the most part. Yeah. And I did hear one of the announcers, uh, when they were doing that red carpet, refer to the uniform as a costume. I about cringed when oh. I heard that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, the, the Yankees, you, you, taught, you wrote eloquently about the, uh, the Hall of Fame. And I, I, I get a chance to see just how special you are to, you know, as you mentioned, announcers, managers, current players, former players, other writers – when I get a chance to text few, you know, potential guests for the show and get to talk, invariably, or I'm sorry, without without fail, the first 
statement in the text is something something along the lines of I love Kevin or you know th- there there's a an affection there's an appreciation there's a sense of reverence for what you are in the business and just so our audience has an idea um Kevin's got access like none other and it's not by accident it's not a magic wand it's not a crystal ball there's person to person relationships there's a deep knowledge of the game both as a player an observer and a coach and as we talk about, you mentioned it before the show that, you know, we don't have time for uncomfortable truths. Well, you invented that, brother. I mean, you, you've yeah. hit that on the head for decades so and continue to carry an eye when no one does. So as we talk about these situations, we're not this isn't just hyperbole. These are deep, deep insights by by a man who's had a seat at the table for a lifetime. So and he's earned it. Um, I like I like the points you made about the, the Yankee coaching change. You brought up Willie Randolph in, in your article. What happened to him? He, he, I thought he was on his way to being a great manager. I thought he had a great run with the Mets. They kind of tanked his for his year there, and he's never been heard from again. Yeah, he was. Uh, he he did a great job with the Mets, and that became an ownership thing, and also people stabbing him in the back from within, um, and, and that happens all the time in baseball. And the same thing with the Yankees. If you remember, he had a great. He he did have a ball with the Yankees for many years as a, as a coach, but. And I'm not going to name names, but I know some big time Yankee people kind of put the kibosh on Willie for whatever reason. And um, and um, and this guy, I've seen him work in spring trainings. He made Glaber Torres good because uh, Glaber was just lazy, to be quite frank. And and he worked hard with him. And all the young infielders, he still shows up as a, a guest instructor. And most guest instructors, if some people understand how it works, they come down. They have some fun. They throw the ball around. They, they talk to the guys. They go out to dinner. They play golf. You know. But Willie actually works. He's and he's still in great shape. He's in he's he's in he's in he's in, in ballplayer shape right now. And and he takes these infielders and he he does the Ron Washington thing, you know. But more basic, I would say, more more old school, more approach to ground in the right way. Um, and, and and he doesn't take any garbage. But for some reason, the Yankees have become a – basically, the Yankees have become a, um, a seventh-grade, um, uh, you know, after-school program. You can't yell at anybody. Everybody's nice. Everybody's this, you know. A scout sent me a, a video today or yesterday of a, a Yankee minor leaguers. They, 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 they take these practice swings against the netting before they get up, kind of like in the on-deck circle, and they have a big loop in a swing, and they, they take it against the netting to kind of keep it tight. But everyone is swinging with the loop in their swing. This is what they're being Yankee. There's a reason why other Yankees get caught by the Yankees and go somewhere else and and do well because the Yankees are not developing them. It's stacked flat. And if and and Hal Steinbrenner can't see any of this. Hal Hal is trying so hard not to be his dad that that he's basically made the Yankees into the anti-Yankees. Yeah, if that makes typical, any sense. Typical second and, uh, generation, right? They yep. Typical son, on- second generation, born on third base. Um, Cashman has him wrapped around his little finger. Now they 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 have made some changes. They brought in. I give him credit, Sean Casey. I, I don't know how much you can fix at this time, but I am seeing some difference in the swings. They aren't everybody isn't swinging uh, from the heels every time. Um, Andy Pettit they just brought in as an advisor, but they need to bring Willie back as an get him in a dugout too. You need to have you need 
you need to get these players playing with a little bit of fear as well as ability. Like, well, if I screw up, I'm going to lose my job. Nobody loses their jobs at the Yankees anymore in any capacity, any capacity. And, uh, and, and it's, it's really, it's shown why they, they've accepted mediocrity. They've accepted getting into the tournament as Cashman always says, and that drives me insane. It's oh, it's not a tournament. It's 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 postseason. It's October. It's not a tournament, and and the media plays along and says, "Oh, you just go to well, you know, the Yankees are like, what are they? A couple games out of the wild card, and people are saying, well, they're right there.' Well, they're the freaking Yankees. They the wild cards have been more watered down. It's a joke. They should be winning the East. The Orioles with a sixty million dollar payroll, uh, you know, are getting there, and of course the Orioles. Let's let's be honest about the Orioles too. Uh, let's not give this GM too much credit because all he did was finish and last all the time. So he got great draft picks that anybody would make. So you're going to get a, a Rutschman and, and guys like that. Those are the guys that make a difference for that organization. And, and, and so the Yankees sit there like, okay, if we just get in the tournament, we've done our job. We're waiting for judge. Always waiting for judge uh, this year. And, and I, I saw a video of judge running and, it, it, it was very tender, I can tell, very tender. He wasn't running with any kind of weight on, on the uh, toe. I think when you do get judged back this year, it's going to be a different judge for what he can do. He'll probably make more contact. I don't see you. I don't think you'll see as much power, but he's strong enough where he can knock it out. But, he, you know, he'll give him a psychological lift. Um, and so, so I wrote all about this, and I had I, so many people contacted me. So many people from the Yankee organization contacted me as well. Because there's a lot of people now who want to do right, but the nerds have taken over. This tells me, these latest little moves tell me that at least someone is finally looking at Cashman, and Cashman is at least pushing, uh, he's going for survival now and is hiring some people who know something about baseball because his way doesn't work. Someone told me, and I couldn't believe it, I'd have to double check it, but um, they said in the minor leagues, the Yankees coaches don't pitch BP twofold for that reason they don't know how first of all they they, they can't they're not they're, they're not qualified to batting <laughs> practice 60 mile an hour straight balls yeah and and second of all they they've they've they've, they've taken the analytical uh, uh advice of hitting off a machines if you know hitters you've been around them your whole life they hitters a machine pay is certain is good for certain things but you don't want to get ready for a game off a machine with timing and everything else so, so again, we can go on and on and on with the Yankees and what they're doing. And we haven't even gotten to the Mets. What a joke they are. Their owner is a, is a blowhard as far as I'm concerned, too. You know, he came in thinking he'd been won a World Series within three and five. Who says that? Who says that? You know, that's like a, a Little League team thinking they're going to go to the state's finals when they haven't won the sectionals yet. You know, you don't say that kind of stuff. You don't act like that. You you build from within. Billy Epler, he's shocked that the pitching is bad. Billy Epler didn't build any pitching in, in the Angels. The whole, the, the whole of what your eyes tell you isn't important is really what's going on in baseball. And it's sad to see. And most organizations that uh, don't have a clue. And that's what's great about having a Bruce Bochy back. He, he will tell you the truth. And that's why, you know, they've done better. Rangers, they still have some issues. But perfect example, Chapman, you know, things like that. So there's so much to talk about. Yeah. they had, well, Texas had seven All-Stars, right, in the lineup this year during the All-Star game. Yeah. So he, he turned them from bottom to at least relevant right now. And I agree with you. He's, he was celebrated as soon as he got that job, I think, all – all people who appreciate the game of baseball, the way it's supposed to be played, were happy and 
not surprised by the turnaround. He's, he holds people accountable. and well, He holds people accountable, exactly. And it's that's, and I, I think I firmly believe players deep down want to be held oh. accountable, but when the culture is such that um, garbage is tolerated, it's like small children. They're not going to do what you emphasize. They're going to do what they tolerate. Yeah, what you tolerate. They get away with it. They get away with dropping fly balls. They're right on that field the next inning. They still bat third. They still play third. And uh, nothing's done from it. But, it's um, such showcase baseball, right, Dave? Yeah. It's oh, why it's, these uh, kids don't have that inner fire to be super winners, a lot of them. You know? They know there's always another game, another at-bat. Yeah. You take a look at some of the – well, what we deal with over here, I'm coming off a couple of those. And how I choose my events that we go to is it's invitation only. Um, it doesn't mean it's all good. It means, you know, still, but it, it puts our kids in an environment where it's around like-minded kids that want to get better at the game, that aren't concerned about winning a little ring or a medal. Uh, there's no gold bracket champion, silver, platinum, whatever other paper mache, whatever you can do. They set it up so, like, you know, everybody wins a championship. It's just, you know. Everybody gets oh, a cupcake. Everybody yeah. gets a cupcake. That's it. And, and uh, try to build the premise around that we're here to get better. We're here to grow. I'm retired. My record is my record. If I have, if I lose a game because I'm developing a player and he's got to learn and his, his mistakes have to be exposed to learn about, so be it. That's going to be the way of the world. But uh, you're holding them accountable for it. You're making them do it. You're making them work at it. But yeah, you're right. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's the global pandemic at MLB right now. And it's, it's all over the place. What well, um, this is great about Hall. I, I just want to jump in real quick on Hall of Fame weekend because I, I, before it flies out of my head. Oh, yeah. um, That's where I was going to segue. Oh, okay, great. You were ahead of me there. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I, in this column, I wrote about the – see, I, I would get special access with the Otisaga Hotel. There were about four or five writers at the Hall of Fame really kind of respected, and they let us have special access. Most writers are not allowed in the Otisaga Hotel because that's that's where the that's where the, the Hall of Famers are housed. So they, the last thing they want is running around and having interviews all the time. So, so we, we were allowed to be in there as long as we were discreet. So, and we were discreet, but we also, the players loved seeing us because we, we reminded them of their playing days. A lot of them, uh, tell funny stories. So it was, it was great for both sides. That's my whole point. And then we would go to the, uh, the night of the, uh, the, the, the night beforehand, they would have basically everybody downstairs in the bar. And that was an off the record event. You didn't, couldn't even bring a notebook. Couldn't bring a notebook, and and uh, and uh, but you had you know you had stories and and things that were just incredible. But I, I painted a picture of what that lobby is like, and of course many of these guys have passed on now. But I made it like a field of dreams moment where they're all there, and you know Bob Gibson sitting in the far right hand corner on a long green couch with his family, always laughing when I see him. But he's also still intimidating when you go up to him. And um, on the other side of him, Ernie Banks. Uh, uh, you know, still ready to play too, and and a song in his heart. He would often sing too. You know, he'd be like a singer type guy. Um, the sort of bow, you know, bowing through, yelling out at at the you know being being loud, Tommy, the loud Italian guy. You know, uh, barreling through, everybody laughing, and him joining us for dinner. Gossage coming through, and just so you know, steam coming out of his ears when he asked him about the game today because how bad it is now and, and how frustrated he is with things. And uh, and and Wade Boggs telling funny stories all the time and Bobby, you know, Bobby Cox being there and, and, and Joe Torrey and Hank Aaron buying the newspaper all the time. You know, early in the morning, he'd go buy the newspaper in the, uh, in the gift shop, you know. So it was just a great setting. 
And to see guys like McGriff and um, Roland get in, they both had wonderful speeches, I thought. People can look it up. But basically, uh, you know, the, you know, you know, Fred was cut from his, um, you know, his high school team after his freshman year, I think. And he just got stronger and did things got better. And, and Roland, same thing. He, he, he had to get better and he just worked at, at These guys took it on themselves. They didn't put it on a coach. They didn't blame their parents. They didn't do this. And that's the one thing I saw throughout the, um, throughout the many years at the Hall of Fame, the respect the, the players that make the Hall of Fame have for their true coaches and for their parents and things like that. And it's, a, it's just a wonderful event. Um, and I also, in the column, I wrote about people who should be in the Hall of Fame. How is Louis Tian not in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, that's I, I love that article because that was a tribute. There's so, there's, there's so many that I don't know how oh. they get missed. You know, sometimes you come up against a ballot because I, I vote, still vote. You know, sometimes a ballot's stuffed and the guy gets falls through the cracks and everything. But, you know, the numbers are in there like shutouts. And, you know, you know, when you had two years where ZRA was under, under you know, two. Tommy John, for the, for the surgery alone, he should be in yeah. the Hall of Fame. Uh, hundred and eight. You know, he had one hundred and eighty-eight no decisions. You know how hard it is to get one hundred and eighty-eight no decisions. And he had what two eight two hundred eighty some odd wins. Yeah, too. he's he's seventh seventh all time winning left hander. How is not in the hall? Everybody else in the hall of fame, but he's like twenty third or something overall. All the guys in front of him, of course, in the hall of fame. And I even went because this is just me. I, again, making friends and knowing people. When I worked in San Diego, I, I hooked up with this historian named Bill Swank, who's terrific. And um, we haven't had Bill on the show, but we need to get him on. Um, he, he's also, he's a he's a true baseball lover, historian of the PCL. So he has unbelievable stories. And he, and he, he was one of those guys. He was a probation officer, Bill. So he would go out and find former PCL players and strike up conversations with them. And because he was a probation officer, he wouldn't take rough from no one. So he's a great combination. But but he 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 hooked me up with this uh, this guy uh, Carafe, uh Gavi Carafe, who I never heard of. But he was the home run leader right before Babe Ruth had the most home runs in baseball. He has more home runs than Home Run Baker. And 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 he's not in the Hall of Fame. And Home Run Baker went in the Hall of Fame in 1955. So these home, these Hall of Fame uh, mistakes have been happening for quite a while, and this guy also. So people understand he he, he you know he was in the teens in uh, nineteen oh eight and right on through to like nineteen or something. Yeah. And and back then, uh, it was kind of a wild west approach. So he would jump to you know if he got screwed over, he'd go to the American Association or the PCL. He had another hundred and seven home runs uh, in the minors. This guy, one season in the majors, hit more home runs than 10 teams. Now, just imagine if somebody did that now, you know, more than 10 teams. Um, so so it's it's really – and Thurman Munson, of course, I threw in there. Dale oh, Murphy. No. I mean, I, the, the list goes on and on and on. And my whole point is these guys are showstoppers. And, you, and, and why not placate the fans and have a fan who loves a Dale Murphy – want to come up and show his kids or whatever, or just want to see for himself in the hall of fame or a Thurman Munson. And, and I, I named about 15 guys and I left some out. Some, one of my um, a former editor at MLB.com got a hold of me and said, what about Vita blue? And he's right. Vita blue is another one. Yeah. That should be in there. Um, I didn't mention Rose. Um, 
um, and Barry or, or Clemens Rocket because we, we've talked at length about them. And I, and I do think uh, Clemens and, and Bonds will get in at some point. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's and Gabby got his nickname, too. It's a great story. He was he had a longer name. I forget what his first name was, but he hit a ball that killed a seagull. And uh, there were a lot of uh, Hispanic fans in the ballpark. I might, I might have been in a PCL game in S- Southern California. And, and they started calling uh, uh, Gaviota, which is like a Spanish for seagull. And and uh, the writers who heard that kind of shortened it, and that became his nickname. So that's another thing, baseball. We need to get back to nicknames with, with baseball. It's kind of fun, fun stuff. Also, Whitaker. Uh, another guy, I think, Oral Hershiser. I was yeah. there when he had the, the consecutive scoring streak. He was the bulldog. He's the reason they won in '88. And he and, and again, he's a great broadcaster too. I mean, I love listening to him on the games. Uh, same thing with Keith Hernandez. Was there a better first baseman? I don't think so. Defensive first baseman. In it was history. time in New York with those two, Hernandez and Mattingly, both guys. That- yes, yes, Mattingly was right there too. And I, I of course, listed Mattingly as, as one of the guys. And and you know, over his that that five year period, no one was even close to who Mattingly was. And and also the the longevity argument, I'm tired of that because like Thurman Munson died, right? He he didn't have a chance to hang around for three more years as a DH and maybe pump up his stats and things like that, get a few more home runs, do whatever. So so these guys for what they did over a ten year period, his batting average over the same ten year period as Fisk and Bench was way higher. So so and he was also a, a great defensive catcher. You know he was the guy the quick release through from his knees. And an incredible leader. You know, I went and visited um, in, at the 20th anniversary of his death. I went to uh, out to Ohio and visited with his uh, widow, Diana. And uh, she told me some unbelievable stories. She took me to the grave site. And just to let people know, too. I know I'm, I'm going on and on here, but it's... it's, it's no, it's, it's good stuff. stuff that, yeah, it's stuff that goes... He was buried. He was buried in a spot that he kind of... There was an area that he liked in a graveyard that has... And it's a beautiful spot. And there's like trees there. It's almost like a mini little ball field, the way it's set up. And and Diana was so thoughtful, knowing that fans would come out there on the big, big headstone, beautiful engraved, um, you know, marble headstone, whatever. She not only had, you know, stuff on the front, but she had the diagram of Thurman on the back with his number 15, because she says that's how fans remember seeing him. Because if you're sitting in Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium, you're right up in the overhang. It was a beautiful seat. It was one of my favorite seats all the time. Um, uh, third deck overhang. And um, uh, that's where you saw 15. Just in the side on the third deck overhang story. One time I went there with, with my high school friends. We were at a game. And uh, this is pretty funny. This is when it used to be fun to go to a ballpark. Imagine a high school kid just deciding to go to a game now at Yankee Stadium, you know, and the price, you know, unless your dad's out working on Wall Street, it's kind of tough. So so we go over to the game. We wind up with these seats. I don't know how we got them. We, you know, we probably paid off an usher to move up. And um, uh, so we were so close to the action, Dave, that we were yelling at the home plate umpire, Nestor Shylock, because that's what we do. You know, that's what you do back then. Yep. Um, and. Nestor, during between innings, he turned around, looked up at us, and grabbed his crotch, like you know, <laughs> this, this, <laughs> put us in our place, you know. And uh, but that's you know that made a lasting memory of going to a Yankee game, and 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 uh, and just uh, you know, it wasn't corporate; it was baseball, and that that's my whole point. It should be there needs to be as silly as it sounds, Dave. This is the bottom line with me. 
there needs to be more baseball in baseball. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's poetic. That's complicated simplicity. That's exactly what needs to happen. And when you talk about guys like Munson and Mattingly, we you know you ask this question to people all the time at the end of the show: What does it mean to be a ball player? Just put two pictures, oh. those two guys up there. That's a ball player. Dirty uniforms, hair sticking out of the hat, diving, playing tough, barking orders, doing playing the game the right way. That's that's a ball player to me. Those two. Yeah, it was nice to see and and uh, and they're still. I, I want to make it clear that I'm not just an old guy yelling at clouds because I there's some ball players I still love. Like I watched Harper yesterday play first base for the Phillies, and he took this on seriously. I mean, he's just not hanging out there. He's made some incredible plays. But I have to tell you about one play that happened, and I want, I'm saying this for the younger players so they understand. So he's at bat. It's a crucial situation. They're down a run. They eventually won the game by one run, I think it was. or, or No, a couple of runs. I guess they got a big uh, fourth four run t- and hung on uh, in extra innings with fake runners and all that stuff. But he there's, he, there's a, I think the runner was on third. Yeah, runner's on third. Harper's up. Hits a ball to first base, and it's a chopper. Um, the first baseman is Josh Bell, a little awkward, nice guy, wonderful person, know him well, but he's an awkward first baseman. He c- kind of catches it awkwardly, throws home. The ball gets butchered by um, the throw home, pops out of the catcher's glove. The runner scores and slides. The catcher has to run over and pick up the ball, maybe 10 feet, picks it up. Harper is still standing there. He never oh. ran. He was the umpire. He thought, he thought the ball was foul, so he didn't run. And the catcher came over and tagged him out. So Bryce Harper, the, to me, one of the best players in the game, made a dumb – and I would love to talk to him about it afterwards. I'm sure he would say that's on him. But I always tell ball players this, and maybe you can address this. Don't be an umpire. Be a ball player. And that's a perfect example of the major leagues. For that to happen – and you can see Rob Thompson when he went in. Rob Thompson just looked the other way, the manager. He was so upset. And then uh, the Philly guys do a great job on TV. It was Ruben Amaro and uh, McCarthy, Tommy, and they, they do a great job. And they flashed. They had another camera angle later on. It's one of the reasons why I always watch there because they don't. They seem to have baseball people running the cameras that know baseball. They got a great shot of Harper coming up behind Thompson, and you could just see he was saying it. I'm sorry, Skip. I, I shouldn't have run. You know, he had to be saying that or, you know, explaining it. I thought it was foul. And and Thompson was just like, you know, like, yeah, okay. But it was like, it was accountability without getting in his face. So it was good to see. And then, of course, he got the big hit in the extra innings that kind of opened it up. So uh, the, that's a, two great things about baseball. Always hustle and don't be an umpire. And the third great thing is if you make a mistake, you may get a chance to redeem yourself even before the game is over. Yeah, we have a. I have a chart I pass around. We do it with baseball. Um, we do it with basketball also. But it says coach, play, umpire, clap. And I have a list of everybody's names: parents, players, coaches. And I make them check off which one they want, which role they think they're going to play that day, so I can correct it before the game. <clears throat> kind of a condescending chart, but it reminds them that just like what you're saying that if you're going to play, play. There's a guy with a mask back there, a guy with that you know funny gray black uniform. Blue uniform, let them call the game. Let them umpire. Parents clap. Coaches coach. Players play. And it sounds simple, but as you said, you know, one of the greatest players in the game now um, violated that. He decided he wanted to be an umpire and maybe cost his team an extra run. Exactly. And and it's so important. And actually, also, 
you know, both you and I, we love baseball at every level. So I think that's what makes our show unique too. We're actually out in the field in so many different ways. And, and my granddaughter's team, um, I'm proud of them. They went to the sexuals championship. They didn't, didn't get through, but team that beat them played solid. They deserve to win, to be honest. And, um, that team went on to win the States in New Jersey, but in that game, uh, we hit some rockets. Uh, you know, the, my granddaughter's team hit some rockets that were caught. Defense matters at any level, and this is ten year old. And um, but also, we made some nice plays, and unfortunately, calls didn't go our way. There were three or four that bang bang, and less than bang bang that went the other way. But those those days happen, you know. And I was proud of the girls because they they weren't whining about that or crying about the umpiring or. Yeah, they were aware that the guy might have been out and they called him safe. But uh, that's a big part of the game. Just just play the next play because you never that's know. It. It's my favorite phrase. I say that all game long. Play the next play. It's uh, and I, I think Dr. Ickes would probably love that, that we're hitting that phrase. That, that falls right into his realm. We, uh, we After we finished that baseball term I was talking about with the younger kids playing against college-bound kids, a lot of the scouting services, I gave them access to our players because I thought it was nice for them to get to know them. And there was probably 200 colleges there. Kids couldn't talk to the colleges, but there was probably, you know, 20 plus scouting services there that, you know, evaluate players. A lot of retired scouts doing evaluations, which was nice to see. Um, but they asked our players to a T, like, you know, kind of because I knew most of them kind of put me on the spot. What's playing for him like? And, uh, you know, they, they, they all, they all know that and that's kind of my thing. If you stop one of these kids on the street, they better be able to tell you what, what we're about. Otherwise I'm not doing a good job. Exactly. And the, thing, the things they pointed out were if, if, if you, if you play for him and you run the bases like he wants you to do and you catch the ball in your six by six area, and when you throw it, you don't make your teammate reach. And you're, when you're at bat, you put the ball in play. And when you're pitchers, you throw early strikes, you're going to get along with them just fine. And he, uh, you know, the, the one guy knew me, he, I played with him and he had actually coached me a long time ago. And, uh, he had asked, he had asked, uh, grab my, my younger son to point it out. He goes, what's it look like playing for your dad? And he goes, well, it's just kind of like waking up in the morning with him. He goes, if you do what he tells you to do, you're going to live a happy life. If you don't, he, he has no guarantees for you. So, and, uh, he's like, can I, can I quote him on it? I said, go ahead. Social services. I'm sure will call me tomorrow. But, uh, oh, that's but, uh, awesome. Well, you, you touched on something, David. Explain to the listeners, too, about teach. Uh, uh, give us a little tutorial on base running. Well, I think, you know, we, we do it every day to start practice, and we start right in the batter's box. And it's, you know, taking your full swing, three strides out of the box, and then locate the ball. Um, because there's two ways you can approach first base. It's, you know, you can, you can round it. Right. And we put, we put a cone up because these kids like to run these question marks to second base. Um, or you're running through the bag and either way we, we promote being aggressive. If you're running through the bag, they're running through the bag on an infield hit. They've identified that an infielder fielded it and your job identify a spot beyond the bag. And as soon as you break down, you're turning over your right shoulder and finding the base coach and he'll help you identify whether to return or to advance. And then in the outfield, I like the kids to learn on their own. We, we, we always, uh, like whether we're at the plate or on base, the first thing we do is we check the depth of the outfield. We want to know where they're at because. Super important. Alex Rodriguez always did that. You know, Jeter did that. Yep. Yeah. It's, I mean, because the base runners to me, their job is to 
be aggressive in advance. As a base coach, my job is to stop them. So I don't ever want them guessing, am I going, am I stopping? You're going. And we, we ask our base runners on hits to the outfield, I want you going a third of the way down the line, and you can go the further the ball is from you, the further you can be off the back. And belly button to the ball, so if it's in right field, their belly button's facing it as they break down, center field, left field. And it's their read. You know, if they think they can go, go. And you learn by making mistakes. Um, I, I struggle with these young kids taking leads. Um, our group is, is doing great with it now, but when I get them, it makes me want to, I, I just want to skiat my Italian word there. But, uh, the, uh, you know, we ask them the first thing they do on the bases, give me a verbal and a visual from first base. I want to know how many outs there are. And I want you to show me with your finger and I want you to say it to me as a third base coach. So I know, you know, and then I want you to check your depth. And then from the backside of the bag, our primary lead, we take three, three quick steps. Eyes never leave the pitcher and we don't leave the bag until he's on the mound. And then we, we pivot to the, the inside of the diamond. And then I ask him to creep based on what the situation is. If it's, you know, a hit and run, we can shorten. If it's a, just a good secondary lead, which our secondary leads are, you know, we call it two hops, but it's not really a hop. I don't like them even leaving the ground. It's more two shuffles, let's just say, um, waiting contact and, you know, second base a little bit different. I ask them to get deep. So they take two big steps backwards to adjust the depth perception of the pitcher. They take the three same steps when the pitcher's on the mound and they pivot to the inside of the diamond. They're gradually creeping forward when there's less than two outs. Two outs, I have them stay deep because we're not stealing third on two outs. Third base is my least favorite because these kids learn from these different leagues. They jump around on third. They, I don't know where the heck they think they're going, but step one, one or two steps in foul territory and I joke with them and it's, you know, may not be a, a, a good joke to make, but I said, you're going to treat me like I'm your girlfriend. We're going to walk down this line hand in hand together. You're not going to okay. go any further than I go. And um, belly button home plate. That way, if it bounces by, they're just racing the pitcher to home plate and freezing. So out you got to do is beat the pitcher. That's so it. They, they forget that often. Yep. And then there has to be an exchange too between the catcher and the pitcher. And with so many one knee catchers nowadays, I mean, that's prevalent the pass ball that to me that's a huge point because i i see it all the time you'll see the runner he'll 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 identify the ball getting past or in the dirt ball or whatever and they won't identify east west they look at everything's the same if it's east west you're going no matter what because how 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 the heck is that gonna that catcher gonna run east or west to get that ball and then make a flip back a lot of times when it's behind it depends on the size of the batting the backstop and things like that and the bounce but they immediately, like, you can see them hopping up in the air and, and their mind thinking instead of making the commitment because you can always go back, too. Yeah, no, it's it's true. And these the pitchers covering home plate, I don't think it's taught how to do it. They're, they're, taught. The reception taught. is awkward. And we even faced two pitchers that, and these are college-bound kids. All Every team we played was kids that are they're receiving scholarships or some grant and aid to play in college, Division One, Two, Three next year. So these are older seasoned kids. We stole home twice in the tournament, flat out steal a home. Wow. Uh, my younger son did one time. It made me nervous because I just wanted the batter gave me the indicator. He got it, but you you never know. But kid threw from a windup, high high delivery, never checked. And, um, you know, and both both times the teams were caught off guard. I know it's not a play you run a lot, but um, with, with, with it being a wood bat situation and, you know, our team being young, they were still learning. So I said, well, let's, you know, we've worked on it. We've practiced it. Let's let's give it a go. We safety it also says it plants a seed and, and, and screws up the pitcher a little bit, too. Yeah. And we did for everybody's in first and third mode on these where they've got these 18 different plays. Um, and But they never work on the bunt. 
And we, we safety squeeze on first and third sometimes where, you know, the guy in first is reading the bunt down. The guy at the plate doesn't have to bunt it if it's not a strike. And a guy in third, as soon as it's down, because if you think about it, the first baseman's holding, usually a big, you know, strong kid, probably not mobile for, for the most part. And, and then we say, bunt it down first, make them, you know, make them, make them do multiple things, hold a runner, shuffle off. Now he's got to come in. It's three, three body movements. And, and uh, we pulled that off a couple times. So we, we manufactured, I was proud of the kids, how they play. It was, it was, I enjoyed it. We finished two and three, but they were all baseball games. And I was looking at our field the last time I had a 13 year old on the mound pitching another one at second base, a 14 year old in center field. And it was young kids not worrying about ages, not making excuses for age. Just, Hey, it's nine kids that showed up to a park. You know, you can roll over and die or you can fight and play. And well, uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you said it that way. Cause I was just thinking to myself, it's no different when I grew up, when we played at the park. You know, no, nobody checked the ages. Like, oh, he's three years older than me. No, it was whoever showed up played, and that's yeah. the way it was. And you know, and it was all about what do you do with a man on third? And because there's nothing that drives me more insane than a man on third, less than two outs, fly ball hit, and the guy gets caught, a line drive or whatever. Guy gets caught coming down the line and doesn't tag. What do you do? Oh, the double sure downs. Yeah, we we stay short at third, and we you know first read is the infield if they're back. In the middle, we'd say anything by the pitcher, we're moving. Um, the corners depend upon, you know, if they have to go left or right, we'll take a shot because, again, we're a younger team. We needed to manufacture runs. But the outfield, again, checking the depth of the outfield and checking their arms during warm-ups to see who can throw. And as soon as that ball is through the infield, we freeze and we retreat um, because I never want to get doubled up there. That's that's the worst. That, that, that makes me want to cry and think about it. And then tagging from third base at that age – very few of these kids play long toss like they're supposed to. And so I'll take my chances with that stuff because the way we work on the, the outfield throws for us, we don't rely on the cutoff as much. We want the cutoff to get there. But I tell the outfield, it's a lot like base running. Don't wait for them to get there. We want you, we want you to throw one hopper to the base, whether it's home plate, third base, second base. Think about throwing a one hopper there. That way the, the cutoff man is going to have an opportunity if and when he gets there. If not, that one hopper is going to be something that our, our guy – you know, second, third home can handle yeah, as well. Advice. So yep. that's, that's kind of our approach here, but third base, yeah, it's automatic freeze. Um, we did do something kind of neat. Uh, the kids, the kids really did well base running without the base running. It wouldn't have been three, two, three, one, probably been three, nothing, you know? Uh, but, um, we had second and third with one out late in the game and we called down angle offense, which is, I told them no matter where the ball's hit, if it's down angle, I don't care if it's back to the pitcher, you're moving. But don't run into the gun at home plate. If he, if we force him to throw it away because he's panicky, because he's not expecting it to go, then we stole one. If he gets you, get caught down in a rundown. The guy on first, put your head down and get the second. The guy on second, to heck with him, let's get the third. We actually scored a run because they weren't prepared to handle a rundown. They threw it away in a rundown. And, um, and then we scored another one on a pitcher just panicking and was in shock and, it, and just sailed the throw over the catcher. Um not something no, I, I like. That's great advice because you're in a situation where you can, you can wind up with second and third no matter what. Anyway, yeah, if you keep that's going. the idea. It's it's kind of risky, but you know, with a young team that's still learning how to use wood bats, I said, okay, what are they doing well? I asked them to put the ball in play. I know they're not going to strike out. Um, and um, it was it was neat to see because these kids are throwing. You know, they're throwing up there in the, the mid mid eighties. That's fast for a 13, 14 year old to see, and they have a breaking pitch, maybe a change up and. I have good guys that work with me. They're, they're great dads and 
The only rule I have with the dads is they can coach whatever they want in practice, but they've got to be prepared. It's, we all got to be on the same page and they can't coach their kid. So go to another area. And I have one dad that makes the lineup for me because I want somebody, I want, I put somebody in charge of that just oversee everything. Let me know where you think guys should play. I don't have to agree with it. And he kept putting my younger son, Tanner, leading off and my older son batting second or third. And I was like, they're not ready for that. They're going to be seeing breaking pitch they haven't seen before. And then he handed it back to me. I said, let's put them six, seven, seven, eight. And he goes, they're both switch hitters. You promote exposing weaknesses. Let them roll. There are, there are, there are two toughest kids. Let's let them roll. And I said, all right. I, I changed it twice before he changed it back. I mean, I gave him carte blanche. But to their credit, they battled. I mean, they good on base percentage. They, hit, they both hit either at 300 or close to it for the tournament. And, uh, you know, so, you know, t- kudos to my coach for fighting me on that. And I guess to the kids for being tougher than I thought they were with it. What about you? I, w- I wanted to ask you this with, uh, how about infield defense with a runner on third? What do you, what do you, what do you preach? Yeah, it, de- it depends, you know, obviously situation and whatnot, but a lot of times what we'll do, um, we'll pitch to our defense. So if, if, uh, you know, if it's early in the game, I won't bring them in. Um, because I just, uh, you know, I, I just think it's too much to give up the ground, but with our group this week, I brought them in more often than not because our pitchers are ground ball pitchers and our infielders are pretty quick. So we, we, we worked a lot with throwing away from batters. Cause these kids were big, strong kids. These were, these were men, um, for the most part. So we played our left side, our third baseman, even our first baseman, even we played our shortstop starting halfway and creep into the grass. So that way his momentum was coming in average arm. So I wanted him moving, but, and then, but we played our second baseman halfway, which was my son Tanner in part because we were pitching away. I wanted him to have a little bit more ground. Um, I just didn't want him tucked in like that, giving up an easy base hit with no angles. And, you know, you could, you could play it a number of ways. You could play them all back and just say, Hey, listen, we're going to, we're going to throw fly balls here. Uh, Keep it up in the strike zone. Um, But that's more often than not, that's what I went to. I'd bring the left side in, we'd pitch away. And that way, if he was pulling the ball, it was a weak ground ball anyway, and uh, gave our right side a little cushion. And uh, it, it worked. Now, again, our pitchers, if they don't throw strikes and throw to spots, we're screwed on that. But uh, to their credit, they don't throw super hard. They're young kids, but they hit their spots well. And so we, uh, it, it worked for us uh, a few times. And then we, are, uh, we took some chances, too, with runners on first and third with one out because, again, younger group turning two is not an automatic all the time. But uh, we, we, we probably flipped a half dozen double plays this week, which uh, this, the past week, which was I was happy with. Again, because we've got a good athletic shortstop, average arm to above average. My son Tanner's 13, plays second base. He has an arm like a 13-year-old. Um, mm-hmm. He's got quick hands and gets it out. But our first basemen are big and long. We got two six-foot-four first basemen. So I said, just stretch that out and uh, tell Tanner, don't let the butterflies land on that ball when you're throwing at the first base. Get it in and out of your hands. And uh, he got taken out. Get the butterflies in flying formation. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, so that, that's kind of I, – I do a number of ways based on situation with third base. and uh, But we practice all of them. That's the, that's the good part. We do 30 minutes of base running. Then we do 30 minutes of, you know, situational defense. And then we always play simulated games. I'm not big on just straight BP. Um, we uh, – I like a lot of live action with these kids. And then we have BP days where we're, you know, we're training them basically, you know, with what we want to do, but I like it to be messy. I like them to be chaotic. And then that way, when they get the games, that's what the kids all said too. Like games are easy because I can't recreate situations to cause them chaos in the middle of games. It is what it is. And 
there's not much that they saw that we didn't we hadn't practiced. So um, they well, did good. That's, that's half the battle is is knowing what to do with the ball when it's hit to you. Yeah, and it's not always easy coming from practice. Everybody always thinks just because you practice that it gets in. Practice can be very controlled. And when they get to the game, it's not, you know, you're not saying, okay, we're working on this right now. Da, 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 da. It's, you know, it's, you never know what's going to happen. So um, I give them a lot of credit. They handle my practice as well. My practices aren't easy. Um, they're chaotic. They force people to get, you know, to communicate, move quickly, be alert. And uh, if you came to one of the practices the first week where the kids were learning it, you'd be like, what the hell is this guy doing? Um, you know, this is like mass chaos. And the coaches too, they panic too in it because they're not used to it. But now when they get the games, it's fun to watch them um, communicate ahead of time. And that's what it's all about. That's, that's kind of what, what our philosophy is, is to get them to communicate. Um, you know, we're not going to cover the whole world of baseball in two hours, but whatever we don't cover, we can talk our way through. And that's the trick. We all talk about talking, but we never let the kids do it. Um, and never teach them what to say. So to me, that's the, that's the best skill they can learn uh, is to communicate. Hey, give, give me one example of that. Um, you know, I, I, I feel bad for catchers all the time because, you know, we don't allow our catchers to go on one knee, um, even if they bring it from their high school program or their, you know, we also don't allow them to go to hitting coaches, pitching coaches or catching coaches while they're playing for me because they end up screwing them up and I got to fix it on my time. Absolutely. But um, simple with, with catcher. So catcher, anytime that ball's contact, every one of our infielders have got to communicate where the ball is. And it's a simple there, there, there. So if the ball's in the dirt and the catcher's blocking it, he's busting his rear end to block it. So if it's two is right, yelling, and we don't do left or right because obviously the catcher's right is the infielder's left. So I certainly don't want to com- confuse him, but it's it's a simple verbal and visual pointing. There, there, there. And they're all running towards the catcher. If it's a pop fly in the, you know, where the catcher's getting it, same thing. If they're over right shoulder, left shoulder, he can rely on the infielder so he can react there, there, there. And I put my, our second baseman is really the, the anchor of that because to me, that's the other catcher in the infield. It's got to be my my general out there. So I put that on my my son Tanner when he's playing second because he catches also. So um, so there, there, there is the community. Even if it's a pass ball, there, 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 let them know. So there's no hesitation. And catchers know too. We drill. If it's an outside pitch, it's probably going to be popped up toward first base, inside probably toward third, you know. And um, and we, we let them call their own game too and just teach them um, that way. But the, the there, 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 our catchers love it because they, uh, you know, they can just do their job and they can – read and react, but they also have their, their, their people communicating with them. And, you know, catchers do the dirty work. They're, they're the, these 95 degree days, they get beat up. And, uh, we were fortunate. We have, we have three catchers, um, that, that are, that are good, solid, hardworking kids back there with good arms. Um, they block balls the right way. They command a field. And then I'm fortunate because I put my son Tanner, who's also a catcher when he plays for his age group, he's usually a primary catcher. Now I've got a fourth one in the field. Um, which I, I love catchers. They're, they're, you know, they, they know how to get it done. So that, that's a simple one for us that we do there, there, there. Okay, and catchers are, you know, they become great managers. We just talked about one with Bruce Bochy, things like that. And I, I, I you know, so finally, cause I know we're running out of time. We got to do this more often, but um, just give everyone a, a, give them a quick bunting tutorial because I'm watching major leaguers. Joey Gallo decided to bunt yesterday with two outs winning run on third. Okay. You got that two outs, yeah. winning run on third, extra innings. And, and he is hitting 180. So I understand why he probably bunted, but so he, you, you could say, well, maybe it was a good idea if he dropped it down, but he immediately bunted it. He bunted it and it went 
deep in the air to the first baseman, almost on the outfield grass. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So he probably would have been better off punching it. But um, um, give us a, a, a quick breakdown of how you want your people to bunt. Yeah, well, I, I think the old-fashioned way, when I grew up, it was you, you squared around. I think that's kind of dangerous nowadays. So we, we work on – we get the kids up in the box a little bit. Um, I don't think catchers at a young age watch kids' feet yeah, uh, to, to understand it. And we, we try to bring the, the the top hand. So if you're dealing with a lefty bunner like Gallo, that left hand up by the label but behind it. So you don't, you know, I joke with the kids, you don't, you don't want to ruin your piano career. Don't wrap that hand around. Right, don't wrap that thing, fingers or thumb around. Yep. And then for, for bunting, you know, if it's a sacrifice bunt, we tell the kids, try to get it. You don't, you want to hit on the sweet spot. You want to bunt on the next spot up. So up closer to the end of the bat, it deadens the ball uh, closer to the line. You know, if you have your choice lefty or left or right, depending upon the pitcher, if it's a lefty pitcher, the guy's, going to fall off a little bit toward the third base side. So bunting it toward first base makes him run a little bit further opposite with a righty. Um, so we ask him to get it towards the lines. We put little towels out. So to me, there's no prescribed. It depends on the positioning of the, the, the defense, but we try to get him. I learned that from reading books about Ty Cobb and Billy Martin teaching Rod Carew, putting little washcloths out and getting them to bun on the washcloth, give him some touch. But you don't want to bun it on the barrel or on the sweet spot unless, like you said, Unless you got a pitcher that falls off and a second baseman that's lazy, that doesn't take two steps in and come yes. over. You want to, you know, in that case, you use the, the sweet spot. You can bun it on that and get it right to the edge of the grass. Um, you know, I, I, I think keeping it away from the catcher is always ideal. I think if a catcher feels it, you're done. Um, right. it's, it's too close. And, um, you know, there's, there's different cutouts. You get the, the guy's got to pay attention to on the uh, right around home plate. Some of these cutouts go deeper now where it's a lot of dirt. And I know major leagues are manicured well, um, but when that ball hits the dirt, it's going to die. So I always tell our kids, we, we, we put those towels out there and try to get them to end of the bat, get it to the grass, at least combo grass to dirt. So we get a little roll on it. But, you know, if it's a base hit, Gallo wasn't button for a base hit. I love drag button as a lefty. Um, you know, my first step as a lefty. That's always a lost art the- now in, oh. in the majors, that's for sure. Think about Mickey Mantle, one of the greatest home runners, hitters of all time, was also the, one of the greatest drag bunners of all time. And if he could do it, why can't everybody, you know, do it? But I, I love that the best. You know, you, I always like stepping toward the pitcher on that. So I'd get a running start. Gave me more of a – and when I say the guy's moving up on a sacrifice button, the boss, it gives you more fair territory. And the key with Gallo, what I, I, I saw that clip too. Um, you want to have the bat in fair territory so you can make use of as much real estate as possible. And, but you also want to have your eyes, just like fielding a ground ball – your eyes have got to be level with the bat. We always teach bat head high. If the ball is above your hands, you don't bunt it. You want to bunt down. And then you want your eyes level with your bat. The biggest issue guys have with, you know, miscalculating bunts is they, they're above the bat level with their eyes. And you can't judge that way. It's either going to be a pop-up or you're going to beat it right into the ground. And well, they have to bend your knees. Well, yeah, that's where the, that's where the change of the, uh, the, the change of your angle happens. It's not an upper body change. Your b- upper body's fixed and soft. You're almost catching the ball on the on the bat, and then the uh, the lower body is the one that allows you only downward, never up. Um, and that way, you know, bunting is down. If it's above your hands, let it go. If it's lower, you drop your body with your legs, but always keeping your eyes fixed and level with the with the bat and the, and the ball. And that gives you, I mean, it's common sense depth perception on it. But that's the biggest mistake I see with bunners. They move their arms to bun it, so they're stabbing at it. 
yes. and or their eyes are above the, the bat, which is never good. That's a pop-up. Well, I think you make a great point, too, with with uh, Mickey, and I grew up in that era. But, but don't forget, too, that before Mickey, Billy Martin was a great drag bunter, or, you know, could, could bunt, and, and Bobby Richardson could bunt. It, it's it's a great weapon. It's a great weapon. And the, the, unfortunately, there's so many things wrong with the nerds, and I'll leave it here, but um, one of the things they've done is they, they poison the well on bunting because yeah. they don't understand baseball. And the bunt is a great weapon, uh, you know, and it's also a great weapon to get you sometimes even to get your, your, your batting eye back. Uh, going back to my high school days, I had a coach who made us bunt with the head of a bat in practice. In other words, you had, a, you had to point your bat straight. Like a pool cue. Like a pool cue. And you had, to, you had to get in there and you had to get down and you had to hit it with the head of the bat. Yes, in practice. I mean, and I did that. I was a good bunner. That, that That's crazy. And if you missed it and it skimmed off, you know where it's going. Oh, yeah. You're going it's right to the dentist. You. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so so you focused, you know. And again, we weren't throwing 100 miles per hour in the drills, you know, but uh, but he 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 was a he was a he was a, he was mainly a football coach, so I think he was a little bit of a masochist. So I think he liked he enjoyed the pain and stuff like that when things happened, you know, like that. It was just the way it was back then, and it toughens you up, you know. It's I was I was joking with my wife the other day because again, driving back from northern New Jersey to Florida, you see a lot of interesting things on the road uh, with terrible drivers, and um, I thought of this myself, and this. Uh, this is just me being me, but one of the great things we've lost in, in our country is the ability for gym teachers <clears throat> to teach driving lessons because they would, they would set you straight back in the day if you were screwing up, you know, and uh, uh, we, uh, Mr. Mills, I still remember his name, you know, or, or, or who, who, when we took driving in school. I don't think kids, kids probably don't take that anymore. I don't know if they even get that anymore. No, they don't. I was sharing with my wife, my gym teacher was Doug Erickson. He was the, and Dave Guest, they were the high school, they coached the high school sports with everything. And they were tough old school guys. And I was, that was when I was in elementary. My dad actually played for them. That's how long they were there. And uh, if you didn't catch, like we talked about not catching fly balls and you can't get away with this now, but if you didn't catch fly balls in gym class or, you know, what they, they called you honey and, uh, and uh, Hey honey, try catching that. And so when you're eight years old, you're learning to catch, cause you want to be called honey and, the other phrase I use, my wife just kind of put her hand over it. She goes, please don't use that. They, if they they saw you backing away from the stuff, they're like, you know, you're gonna, we could use it as maybe one of our professional javelin catchers because that's the only thing you're going to do in sports right now. And uh, kids wouldn't get it, but I, I did. But they, uh, yeah, the, the, the toughness is gone with that stuff. Well, that's why you have to do it. And, and uh, that's why you can still do it in a certain way and demand it. And, and you know what? This is what I've seen, again, being around young, young people. They want it. They want to be taught the right way. They don't want to be lazy. You know, some kids, you, you'll get that occasional kid who's got super talent, super lazy. You know, you try to fix them. At some point, if you can't fix them, you, 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 you cut them loose because he just ruins the whole team. And uh, But most kids really want to be, uh, they want to know, they want to get, you know, it, it's like the TV show, Hard Knocks. There's got to be some Hard Knocks in life. I agree. I agree. And we got to do this more often. I like, I, I like this. Uh, I think our audience get, got a lot from this today and uh, we'll get their feedback on it as well. But um, we've got a couple, couple new articles coming out from you this week. Any teasers on it? You want to leave it, leave it open. 
Yeah, I'm going to leave it open because a lot of times so much stuff happens. It, it's like the day of the event. And, and also this, uh, the, you know, just, just I'm kind of just settling back. Um, we're getting into the probably trade deadline oriented, you know, and um, it, it's just a shame. One thing I, I do want to say, it's a shame that you can't win uh, with Shohei Otani, you know, and make the playoffs, you know. And uh, I think the Angels would be crazy to trade Otani because he's going to, you know, these writers all talk about the, the, the haul you're going to get. But in the long run, I think you're better off taking your shot. The American League is not that good. And um, let Otani, if, if he gets there, I think if he gets to the playoffs with the Angels, you, you at least have a fighting chance of signing him. Um, uh, my gut feel says he's going to be with the Dodgers. But these these GMs have wasted so much talent across the board by, by not getting the most out of these players. And if you just look at the way Otani, all the things we're talking about, Otani does naturally. He, yeah. he, you know, he, the Japanese players, to their credit, they're drilled. You know, one of the, one of the things I, I remember when I covered the uh, 98 little league world series and I kind of got embedded before that became a popular term with the Tom's river, little league people, the parents, oh, I yeah. in the hotel, you know, I knew him better. I, I became just another parent, basically. Um, but one of the thrills of that whole thing was watching them, how they practice, and Mike Gaynor, their coach, and how he got them ready for games and who they were. And, of course, you had Todd Frazier, the stud. But they, they were lifted by – all their players played well. Um, but one of the great thrills is it was going to seeing the Japanese team doing their warm-ups. And, 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 and it's incredible. So there's a reason why when the Japanese players come over, you know, they, 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 they play well and they're basically sound fundamentally. And, and I think you can, te- you can teach that in America if you just have the willpower. Yeah, if, yeah, if you're allowed to. And I want to uh, congratulate your son, Casey, on a great coaching job. He's done a great job this summer. He wears his anatomy out for those kids out there and came close to getting there and uh, just I'll shoot him a text too today. Keep plugging away. He's doing the right things and he's going to get over that hump. And you got a granddaughter who's going to be the, the next great Kern and hitter coming through a 10 year old. I tell you what, she's a hitter, power, speed and uh, strength and, and, uh, and is tough mentally, you know? So uh, this is a great experience for all the girls, 10 years old, 11, some of them are 11, some of them are nine. Sophie, the younger one picked up a lot too. She's going to be, Trying to teach her to be a uh, you know the, the the lefty type hitter, she's fast as well, and um, you know the great thing is when you when you get beat by a team that beats you and you kind of you didn't beat yourself for the most part they they beat you you hit the ball hard they caught it, um, um, and there were a couple of things that went the other way. The great thing is you know where you stand. So if you work on improving, you you can uh, you can uh, you know you can get where you want to get, and that's. Uh, so Casey's got something to shoot for the next two years as well. Yeah, that's a point. And then what we can call, I'll let you close on it. And the, uh, the, the atom balls, they call when you're constantly hitting balls at people. I got asked by a player of mine, he goes, I feel like I'm hitting at everybody all the time. So just because he was like, should I change my swing? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You're on the nose. Just move around in the box. That's all. Move up a little yes. bit, move back a little bit, move in, move out. Just do one of those things that's and that ball point. will change. That's a great point. And, uh, and, and, um, that, that's one thing. And again, next time we do this, we can talk about that. But they've forgotten about moving in the box. Nobody moves in the box anymore. You know, yeah. it's, it's 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 you can do so much just by moving in the box. And and 
and they get in the same spot because they do their swing, they do their thing with their batting coach, they got to be in a certain spot, move around. There's a reason why the box is big. You can move around in it. Yeah. You, 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 I, my dad taught me to be a lefty hitter, and I moved all over the place as a lefty. You know, I was looking for a base hit. Sometimes I move up, I power go somewhere else, and uh, it gives you the extra two steps. So the mental and that, this is what's also been lost in baseball, and this is worth a whole show. The the ability to beat your beat your opponent mentally, and I'm not talking about um, you know like getting in his head from a uh, you know a wise guy perspective, which we see way too much of now. I'm talking about using the field to your advantage. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, well. We'll hit that on our, our next time uh, together doing this. We've got a nice group of guests lined up for some shows, but we've got to plug one of these in every other or every third one at least because I, I like this. This was a good – it was a it was a good uh, wakener for me today. I appreciate the the questions, and I think our audience is going to love this one. So, yeah, um, you got a lot of knowledge. It's good to get it out there. Yeah. Anything any anything else you want to leave the audience with before we sign no, I'm on? good. I'm good. I'm uh... good. Looking forward to, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a little warm here in Florida now. And they, as they, they announced the other day on the uh, St. Augustine website, it was a little joke. They said, uh, hey, heat warning, be careful going out today from 11 a.m. until November 2nd. So, uh, <laughs> little <laughs> so I'm looking forward. I, I like the heat. So I'm looking forward for a nice week. Uh, uh, got a little medical thing I got to take care of Thursday. And then after that, getting to the beach. Well, good, yeah, good luck with that. And we'll um, certainly talk throughout the week like we do. And want to thank our subscribers to 20,700. Without Spotify, we'll get those numbers hopefully uh, by tomorrow. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing. 72 countries supporting us. As we say all the time, we're going to embrace the uncomfortable truths here. We're going to hit you right between the eyes. I think this show was the epitome of that. So, uh, Kevin, thanks to you for all you do for our show here and the network. And then please support our brothers at Ball Nine and Click into Kevin's two articles this week. They're gold mines. You'll love them. They're entertaining. They're informative. And you'll learn about the game. And it's going to be the only truth. He's the only truth seeker out there right now. So, Kevin, thanks so much for being you. Thanks, Dave. And great job today.